Princess Bride. Any others in here enjoy that movie? Do you remember the bad guy in, in The Princess Bride? I guess there's more than one bad guy. Uh, actually, there's several bad guys in The Princess Bride, but there was this one guy at the beginning. He's this little short guy. He's bald, uh, overweight, and every time he sees something happen that he just can't quite... Yes. He says, inconceivable. But he's got a lisp. So he says it, inconceivable. And he says this over and over. And eventually, Anigo Montoya has had about all of this he can stand. And, and the short little bald fat guy says, inconceivable. And Anigo Montoya says, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. Well, thanks to Anigo Montoya, and English teachers all across the land. We do know what inconceivable means. But that word inconceivable, it's somewhat similar to three other words that I would like for us to look together. Together we're going to look at three different words today, somewhat similar to inconceivable, but not quite. And while these three words are all very similar in some ways, there are subtle differences and gradations between them, and I think you'll see those as we progress through the message today. Let's pray. Father, I'm yours. Speak through me in the way that you see fit, uh, in any way that you see fit. And I pray, Lord, that the words that I believe you have given to me to speak today will find fertile ground and will be planted in hearts that will spring forth to harvest. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus, the sower. Amen. Now remember, there are three words that we're going to look at today. Now the first word that I want to talk to you about is unexpected. Unexpected. November 30th, 2015, my daughter-in-law, Mary Wax, is expecting were in the hospital in Nashville. It's about six in the morning because not only is she expecting to deliver and to give birth, uh, it's the day. And we're all looking forward to meeting Judah for the very first time. And while we're there in the waiting room, doing what you do in a waiting room, wait. While we're waiting there, Rhonda's phone rings. You know, occasionally, from time to time, Rhonda's cell phone goes off at the most inopportune time. <laughs> you had to be here Thursday night to fully appreciate that. But Rhonda's cell phone goes off, and imagine this, in the excitement and expectation of Judah's birth, Rhonda didn't get to her cell phone for quite some time. As a matter of fact, she didn't get to it at all before the, the call went away. So she didn't have time to answer it, imagine that. And then my cell phone went off. And it's our daughter, Tiffany. Their newly built house out in Las Casas, 
was in flames. The family was all okay, but it looked like the house would probably be a total loss. And by the time we, we left the hospital and went to be with Tiffany and her family, and, and by the time we got there, we, we could see that they were all safe, but yes, the house was a total loss. So on that day, November 30th, 2015, we have a great example of an expected event. Judah was on his way. But we also have an example of an unexpected event. We were not expecting a fire that day. We made it back to the hospital in time for Judah's birth. Um, it was a bad day, but it was a good day. Unexpected. The birth was expected, the fire was unexpected. And if you're of an older generation, you might say that Pearl Harbor was unexpected. Uh, my father's and mother's generation would certainly remember Pearl Harbor and how it changed the landscape, changed the world, really. Um, if you're of my generation, you grew up under the threat of communism and and uh, you were constantly being reminded of the threat, the red threat, in nuclear war and what to do in case of nuclear attack. and. And so when the Berlin Wall fell, I, for me, that was pretty unexpected. And then when the Soviet Union collapsed shortly thereafter, that was unexpected. And if you were alive on September 11, 2001, the events of that day here in America, I would say that that was probably going to fit in the unexpected category as well. And then just as recent as 2016 as a nation, I would say a lot of people woke up the day after election to unexpectedly find that Hillary Clinton had not won and Donald Trump had. That was unexpected. What about you? Can you think of events in your own life that were unexpected? Maybe some of them were good. Maybe some of them were bad. Unexpected events that rattle your world. Maybe it was a sudden and shocking death. On October the 11th, 1968, my dad and my two sisters were on our way up to Akron, Ohio to visit my grandpa. My grandpa was in the hospital for cataract surgery and surgery went well and he was recovering nicely. My mom had gone up a couple days before us so that she could be with her dad there in the hospital, be with him. The surgery went went well, he was recovering nicely, and I was so looking forward to seeing him. He was my favorite grandpa. Is it, is it okay to say that? He, he, was, he was my favorite grandpa. I know in my own grandchildren's life, they say that about the other grandpa sometimes. <laughs> but he was my favorite grandpa, and I'm gonna go farther than that. I'm gonna tell you that he was my favorite grandparent. Might have had something to do with he always had a present for me when I got there, but uh, I was just nine years old. This is 1968. I'll do the math for you real quick. I'm 59. Um, and I was still at that stage of my life where certain people were pretty much perfect and pretty much awesome, and my grandpa was certainly in that category. So as we pulled into the driveway of my grandparents' house, um, we were getting out of the car, and my mom met us 
at the car, and I'm thinking, my little nine-year-old mind, that's, that, mom doesn't normally come out and meet us when we get here. I'm sure she's happy to see us. It's been three days, you know. But something's up, and sure enough, Grandpa uh, had suffered a massive stroke in the hospital, and he died. And this unexpected news was so painful for our family. And there are going to be times in our lives when we're going to receive unexpected news. So that's the first word for today, unexpected. The second word is similar to the first, but it's a little bit different. And the second word that I want to talk about today is unthinkable. Now, when I talk about unthinkable events, I'm not talking about things that are unexpected or even inconceivable. I'm talking about strange things that are truly unthinkable. There are many things that we encounter in our world that we're not expecting, but how often do we really come across something that's unthinkable? My dad might have said that Pearl Harbor was unthinkable. People of our generation might say that 9-11 was unthinkable. And if you were on the receiving end of either of those tragedies, I can see your point. But in retrospect, it's pretty obvious that somebody, somewhere, evil, was thinking about those murderous tragedies well in advance. So those weren't really unthinkable events. Some of you think that today is... April 1st, but it's actually March the 32nd. You see, 24 years ago, when daylight savings time was implemented, we started losing an hour every day. And so now, 24 years later, we have to make up for that. And so today is March 32nd. No, it's not. It's April 1st. You know the thing about April Fool's jokes? is that they're not unthinkable. There for a minute you were going with me, weren't you? Because it's just a little bit, well, that sounds a little crazy, but it's a little bit plausible. And whatever April Fool's joke you're falling for, there's always just a little bit of plausibility to it because it's not really unthinkable. There's something in there that, well, maybe that could happen. Today I would like to give you four examples from Scripture that illustrate this word unthinkable. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, we'll start there. We'll stay primarily in Matthew. We'll take a little detour into Acts uh, when we get to the fourth example of something unthinkable from Scripture in honor of our message series of the book of Acts. We've been preaching through the book of Acts. Man, that has been such a blessing. But in Matthew chapter 16, I want you to hear this first example of something unthinkable. And the first example is Jesus' unthinkable prediction of his coming, suffering, death, and resurrection. Hear the word of the Lord, Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Verse 22, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, being Jesus, he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your thing, mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
Now let me put this in context for you here. Just previously in Matthew 16, if you look at it this afternoon, if you look a little bit earlier in Matthew 16, the disciples and Jesus had just had a tremendous mountaintop experience. Jesus is with his disciples. They're in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And he asked them. They've been together for a while. They've seen him minister for a while. They've seen him do incredible things. And Jesus asked the disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? And they give him different answers. Some say you're the prophet. Some say you're John the Baptist. And then here comes the question that Jesus asked everybody. But who do you say that I am? And Peter nails it. He says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. So Peter has the opportunity. He responds to the question. And he absolutely, 100% gets it right. And then Jesus takes this opportunity to tell the disciples what's about to happen. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer many things at the hands of the chief priests and the Pharisees. They're going to kill me. And then on the third day, I'm going to be raised. And Peter, this is unthinkable to Peter. And Peter pulls him aside. Uh, don't you appreciate the fact that Peter is going to correct Jesus by pulling him? He didn't want to embarrass Jesus in front of the disciples. So he pulls him aside and he says, uh, far be it from you, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. Let me just make sure you understand what's about to not happen. That is not about to happen. That's unthinkable, Jesus. And you know, really, if you think about it, what Peter was saying was very similar to what Satan said to Jesus when he tempted him in the wilderness. He had a different plan for Jesus. Peter had a different plan for Jesus. Sometimes we have a different plan for Jesus. But Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You are more interested in the things of man than the things of God. And he also says he's a hindrance. He calls him a hindrance. He calls him Satan. Why? Because Peter thought that a suffering Savior, a crucified King, he never even got to the resurrection. He couldn't even get to that. It's like he heard those first two things and he couldn't, what do you mean raised again? He didn't even go there. It's just like if you get a cancer diagnosis, you don't hear anything past the sea. That's it. Anything else the doctor tells you beyond that? You can't remember. You're in the fog. I think Peter was in the fog. Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And then I'm going to be raised. And Peter never even got to the raised part because he's in the fog. And this is the first of three times. Jesus told his disciples this very same thing. He made these predictions three times. Why did he do that? Because they weren't getting it. Why did he tell them three times? Because they needed to hear it. They needed to be reminded after the fact. This was unthinkable to Peter, a mere man. But this was known to God. This was unthinkable to man, but this was part of God's redemptive plan. Now here's the good part. If Peter can get it wrong, we can get it wrong too. We can take comfort in that. He's the lead disciple. If Peter gets it wrong because he didn't understand, then you better, be, better believe there are going to be some things that we don't understand and we get wrong too. That's the first example. 
of something unthinkable in the scriptures. Let me give you another example. If you'll just turn to Matthew chapter 26, Peter's going to start in this one too. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30 and following. Here's the second example of something unthinkable in the scriptures. Hear the word of the Lord, Matthew 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Who do you think is going to correct Jesus here? Peter. Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Did you hear the rooster crow? Yeah. Context, this is Thursday night. You know when we celebrated, if that's what you want to call it, when we observed Tenebrae here Thursday night, that's very similar to what happened. They sing a hymn and they go out to the Mount of Olives. They've had the Last Supper. Judas has slinked away to betray Jesus. Jesus and the disciples are on the Mount of Olives. And Jesus says, because the scriptures say that the shepherd will be smitten and the, the flock will be scattered tonight, that's going to happen. All of you are going to fall away. And Peter says, uh, no, not me. The, these other guys, they may leave you, Jesus, but I'm not going to leave you. Jesus predicts what's going to happen. Peter corrects Jesus. Jesus, Jesus warns Peter again. Peter corrects Jesus again. He even separated himself from the other disciples and said, now I can see how they might fall. I can see how they might deny you, Lord, but I will never do that. It was unthinkable to Peter. And let's put the disciples in there too because they all said the same thing with Peter. They said, this is never going to happen. It was unthinkable to them that they would deny Christ. What was unthinkable to Peter and the disciples was already known to God. It was unthinkable to man, but it was part of God's redemptive plan. And aren't you glad that we serve a Savior who knows our weaknesses, knows our faults, knows our sins, knows that we're going to fail Him, and yet says, it's okay, I'll forgive you. Because if Peter and the disciples can get it wrong, I know I can get it wrong. I know you can get it wrong. That's the second example. That's unthinkable what happened there. Third example, Jesus' crucifixion and then the unthinkable resurrection, Matthew chapter 27. Beginning in verse 50, Matthew 27, verse 50. Jesus is on the cross now. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his, his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, 
Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who would follow Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate, verse 63, and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Did you catch what the Roman centurion said at the foot of the cross? Truly, this was the Son of God. He was there. And I trust his eyewitness testimony. But it seems to me that a bloody cross is a strange place for the Son of God to be. And the Jews certainly didn't believe it. They knew the law. They knew that the law said, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And Jesus was hung on a cross. So when they looked at Jesus, they said, aha, you are not the Messiah. You are cursed by God. And the disciples didn't believe it either. They didn't believe that the cross was the place for the Son of God. They're not at the foot of the cross. The ladies are. And eventually only one disciple will show up. And he's surrounded by the faithful women who had ministered to Jesus throughout his ministry. Do you know why they weren't there? Because this was unthinkable. Unthinkable to the disciples, mere men. But not unthinkable to God. Unthinkable to the chief priests and the Pharisees, but not unthinkable to God because this was part of the redemptive plan. Once again, the disciples get it wrong, but God got it right. And if the Son of God nailed to a cross, what happened next was even more of a shocker because resurrection Sunday's coming. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, come, see the place where he lay. 
I hope you're noticing about all these unthinkable things that when something truly unthinkable happens, it's because God is behind it. God is up to something. The angel told the women, he is risen as he said. Jesus had told his disciples that this was going to happen, but they could not comprehend it. There aren't any men hanging around the tomb at this point. There's a couple ladies. The disciples had heard Jesus' prediction, but they could not comprehend it because what Jesus had said was going to happen was unthinkable to them. The chief priests and the Pharisees heard him also. They said that imposture while he was still alive, get it, he's dead now, we're rejoicing, while he was still alive said that he would be raised after three days. Let's make sure nothing untoward happens here. And the disciples, they may go and steal the body. The chief priests and the Pharisees had a better understanding of Jesus' word than his own disciples did. But it was unthinkable that he would come back from the dead. So it was unthinkable to the disciples and the chief priests and the Pharisees, but what was unthinkable to man was known to God. What seemed like things had gone so wrong, things had actually gone so right, because it was all a part of God's redemptive plan. I have one more example for you. I want you to go to Acts chapter 9, and let's look now at one more unthinkable thing this morning. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So this is a short time period from after the crucifixion. The church has been born at Pentecost. Thousands have joined the way, as it was known then. And the number one enemy of the Christian faith at this point in history is a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Saul was there when Stephen, one of the first deacons, was murdered by an angry mob of Sanhedrin. Not only was he there, he helped facilitate that execution. That was in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 8, the scriptures tell us that Saul approved of Stephen's execution. In Acts chapter 9, Saul is on his way to Damascus to arrest more Christians, bring them bound back to Jerusalem to face the same fate that Stephen did. But something happens on the road to Damascus that is truly unthinkable. The number one enemy of Christianity in the world is saved, gloriously saved on the road. This is unthinkable. Saul had his plans. Jesus had better ones. And Saul goes on to become Paul, the most formidable champion of Christianity that the world has seen. Unthinkable that the number one enemy would become the number one champion of Jesus Christ. What was unthinkable to Saul, a mere man, was part of God's plan. 
What was unthinkable to, to Saul and to all the Christians who were about to be arrested, I think of the prophet who was sent to Saul. God tells him, go find Saul. Open his eyes. And the prophet tells the Lord, I, we're talking about the same guy, right? You, you sure? Because I have heard that this guy has killed a lot of us. Nobody thought that this was possible. This was totally unthinkable. Unthinkable to man, but part of God's redemptive plan. Here's the good news. If Christian killer Saul can come to know Jesus, anybody can come to know Jesus. You can certainly be saved too. Our first word today was unexpected. Our second word was unthinkable. Our third and final word today is unbelievable. Three examples of the unbelievable from the scripture. Number one, God loves the world. Why? Why would God love the world? It's unbelievable. But Jesus told Nicodemus, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's unbelievable. Why would God love the world? You may think that that's unbelievable, but I will tell you this, it's true. Here's the second thing that's unbelievable. Not only does God love the world generally, he loves you specifically. God loves the world, that's good news. It's great news that God loves you. God sent his beloved son Jesus to bridge the gap between you and him. Your sin has separated you from God and God sends Jesus to make it right. Now you may think that this is unbelievable, but it's true. God loves the world generally, but he loves you specifically. So the first two unbelievable things are good news. I speak with power. <laughs> God loves the world. God loves you. Now, get ready. God will judge you. It's just a matter of time. Hebrews says, as, as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Now, you may think that the judgment, the coming judgment, your coming judgment is unbelievable. But it's true. Right now, you're still breathing. But the day will come when you won't be breathing. One day, you will take your last breath. Mm -hmm. And then what? It is only by God's grace that you are still alive today and you are able to respond to his gracious offer of salvation. You know, a prophet can tell you many things. A prophet can tell you what has happened in the past. That's history. A prophet can tell you what is happening now. That's context. A prophet can tell you what will happen. That's the future. In the Bible, prophet and preacher are often interchangeable. So today I want to serve as your prophet, but I also want to serve as your friend. In regards to your past, I may not know you, but I do know this. You have sinned and you have fallen short of the glory of God. You're not good enough to make it to heaven on your own. You've tried, but you've failed. Now, but look at me. I'm in the same boat you are. I too have sinned. I too have fallen short of the glory of God. I'm not good enough to make it to heaven on my own. 
You failed, I failed, we failed. We cannot save ourselves. We've tried, we've fallen short. Sin and failure are part and parcel of who we are. But God did something for us, and he did it before we were even born. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Was that unexpected? Yeah. You think it's unthinkable that God loves you? Yeah. You think it's unbelievable that Jesus would take your place on the cross? It doesn't have to be unbelievable. You can believe it. Rhonda told me the story of when she trusted Jesus as her personal Savior. She was seven. She was a member of Bel Air Baptist. Bel Air at that time was about the same size we are now. They had a revival. And the pastor and uh, the preacher for the revival came uh, to their house there on Eventide, or was it Sunset? Eventide. And uh, they went through the plan of salvation together. And the, uh, the preacher took a little chalkboard that was there and he drew a road and then he drew a fork in the road and he put heaven at one end of the one side of the fork, the left side, and he put hell on the right side of the fork. And he said, you have to make a choice. And Rhonda, in her seven-year-old heart and mind, spoke for all of us because she looked at that fork in the road, that why, and she said, how long can I stay right there? And that's the way we are. We don't want to have to make a decision, but we have to make a decision. And I will tell you that some people make decisions by not making a decision. Everyone has to choose. Today is the day of salvation. Will you obey? Will you believe? It doesn't have to be unbelievable if you believe. Now, I know you may not have it all figured out. Who does? If you did have it all figured out, it wouldn't require faith, would it? We don't have it all figured out. But we throw ourselves on Jesus. And we say we trust in you and you alone, Jesus, to save us from our sins. Will you obey? Will you believe?